0: Hey, it's your Kali. What's, What's up? You are about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, and much more fascinating things. That will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow.
1: This show will start. Five, four, three, two, one.
2: was poppin don't forget that you're listening to WLPN lp chicago 105.5 fm lumpen radio broadcasting live from studio y Yolacali kali and little village my name is emmanuel my name is zipporah and we are your favorite hosts back and better than ever <laughs> don't y'all miss us we've been gone this whole season
3: no we actually have been this like i haven't done a show in so long
2: i mean i had a little comeback during the asmr show you know like five minutes are you talking down upon my... Uh-uh. Just saying. You're just mad because I'm <laughs> in a show. Whatever. But yeah. um, And I we hope...
3: haven't done a show together in even longer.
2: Ma- yes, definitely. Our last
3: show was...
2: It was a while ago, but you know. Right. Your favorite duo is we back. We know that you
3: are sad, but we're back now.
2: Yep, we're back. So today you're listening to Notre Dame's Ballads of Hip Hop, Music, Migration, and American Latinos Radio Podcast. A.K.A. YOLO crash the class. Woo!
3: I think I like the second part better. Yeah. I hope, <laughs>
2: I hope y'all had y'all sticking notes out. Y'all was taking notes. But that's pretty much what today's show is going to be about. So let's get a little deeper into, well, what today's show is about. Because I don't think y'all heard what it's about from that title. So we're going to, well, me and Zipporah, about in September, we were invited on behalf of YOLO Kali to go, um, teach a class at Notre Dame we were invited to a class in Notre Dame how was that Ooh. like Zipporah
3: it was fun <laughs> it was actually like pretty nerve-wracking for me.
2: now that I see like it was three months ago it honestly like felt like a dream like it was not real
3: I know it happened really really fast Definitely, like, we were preparing for so long and then, like, it was just, like, over. No, like I feel
2: like I have nothing to do. I'm just sitting around. Like, after
3: you finish, like, a series.
2: Yeah, we, we work so hard on that. But um, before we get into the class that we taught, we just want to give y'all some facts about Notre Dame, you know, what's popping. So um, Notre Dame is a private Catholic university in Indiana.
3: And it was established on November 26, 1842
2: by a 28-year-old French priest. And he was Reverend Edward Soren. And their mascot, what was their mascot, Zipporah? Um, A leprechaun. Yeah, that was, now that you guys are 100% educated on Notre 100%. Dame. 100%. Yep, that's, that's all you need to know, actually. You guys are students at Notre Dame now. Right. you already. ready. So um, let's just talk a little bit about, um before, our again, experience? before we get into um, the class we taught, let's talk about our experience being invited to Notre Dame University. So thanks so much to Alex for inviting us hey. and Stephanie. Stephanie, Hanan was a hookup, you know. What oh I'm yeah, saying? Hanan too. Hey. So um, Alex, well Stephanie is our Your Story Your Way Yola Kali teacher instructor. Uh, Hanan got us the hookup, you know, the hotel with the jacuzzi and the, and all the <laughs> good stuff. We got the we got the chocolate covered strawberries and stuff. You know what I'm saying? We got that room service, and uh, Alex was the teacher for the class that we taught the professor. So thanks so much for those important people. And, um, before we ended up teaching our class, you know, we settled in the hotel and stuff. Um, and then we got a tour of the campus. So what, what was your experience with the tour? Like,
3: I feel like you would be more, I feel like you have more to say than me for me. Like it was, it was really nice. Honestly, the inside of the campus is so different from the outside. Like for me, it is Just, so like, many acres, ride. y'all. Like, it's it so is big, huge, it's really, really big. Huge. Like, it's I don't even think I brought the right shoes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did not know I was I'm going lazy hiking. to
3: begin with, right? And we took a hike,
2: it was a journey to get to the back of the school. We didn't even make it to the back. We got like you didn't have enough time. We got a, like a few buildings in, and we got you know we talked to some important people. You know we got connections. We got some Notre Dame merch. You know how it is. But um, yeah. Overall, I think the campus is super beautiful. I love the mixture of the old and the new buildings. Yeah. Because uh, just like architecture wise and art wise, the look of the school is like so like mind blowing. Like they um from from the front like there is um their stadium for uh football their football stadium um is pretty old and then <laughs> it's like um it has like a built on top of it or some pretty like new buildings with new classes so it's just like a really cool like way that they like put together old and new and modern and history and um yeah it was just like really well built
3: and there's so many traditions i feel like yeah like, just, like, walking down and being like, oh, yeah, here we have this, and we always do that, and then blah, 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 blah. It was a lot.
2: Yeah. The um, The only thing that I was disappointed by is that we didn't get a tour of the cafeteria and uh, the different food options True. that there was. You know, I was hungry, so. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was the campus, and um, we're going to go into a quick song break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk to you. We're going to have a special little interview with um, the teacher of uh, the professor of the class, so stay tuned. guys we're back and don't forget that you're listening to wlp and LP, chicago 105.5 fm lumpen radio broadcasting live from studio y yolo kali and little village
4: my name is emmanuel
2: my name is zipporah and we are here with our very special guest hello
4: mm-hmm. hello everybody how are you Good to be here, Emmanuel Zipporah, Always. <laughs>
2: thank you so much for being here. We're so honored. We're blessed. <laughs> blessed <laughs> to have you. Is that's so yeah. <laughs> a teacher at Notre Dame. After we thought we were students at Notre Dame, we have the we have our professor here to teach us. So um, we're gonna go a little bit into the class that we taught, but before that, we want to speak more more so about the class that we were in, the
4: class that you teach. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, thank you first of all for um, having. Uh, me and some of our students here today um, and uh, the class it was uh, But uh, you mentioned it earlier, it's called Ballads to Hip Hop Music Migration in American Latinos uh, so I'll mention a couple of things, the first is that uh, the class um, sort of explores as the, as the title suggests various music genres in sort of uh, that we can th- think about in terms of Latinos in the United States who are also like, transnationally as well um, a number of genres. So understanding their history, you know, the styles themselves, and kind of the politics too, as types of music in, in Latino communities. So that's sort of the the topic, more or less. And the idea of migration, which you know is, is a big part of of the of the courses. Uh, we really do talk a lot about uh, migration. is very much part of the Latino experience. Um, but also migration in terms of like how these musical genres sort of move across borders um, and how a lot of them have been really made and forged across across borders so we we largely the the courses is that and students the second thing i'll mention is that students um, they they teach a lot of the content um, so they give sort of lectures and listening sessions in class but also which is why we're here today, and why uh, you all came. Uh, the Olokali came to our class at Notre Dame in in September October was is that their sort of final project is is an audio piece, of a podcast. And so students can choose, you know, whatever topic they want to focus on, but that explores music and sort of these themes of like history and politics, etc. And it doesn't have to be Latino music; it can be anything that they want it to be. And so they. They produce audio pieces as their final projects, so that's why we we, uh, we had um, you know Yolokali come in and, and particularly you and support to, to come in and, and uh, teach the students a little bit, workshop with them a little bit on on how does one do that, <laughs> how does one create an audio piece, um, and so that was that was great and and just quickly that the class itself um, the students are from you know diverse backgrounds, but also in terms of what they're studying at the university but the class itself is, is an anthropology course and a Latino studies course there at the University of Notre Dame, and, and so, but um, it's great to have opportunities where uh, we as professors, as, as teachers can collaborate with, uh, with friends, with uh, community organizations, with people who do amazing work, amazing art, so it was really, really great to have you all come and spend the day with us, so I don't know if you want to maybe talk a little bit about what is it you did. You could talk about it way better than me, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um before we get into that, okay. I have a question. Um sure. how it is how exactly is it that you got involved with teaching
4: at Notre Dame? <coughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's see. I'll tell you my my brief academic bio. Um, <laughs> so I have a PhD in anthropology, which I got at the University of Texas at Austin some years back. Some a lot of years back. <laughs> and um mm-hmm. 2010 I got done and um when I um graduated I actually w- went to Notre Dame for a year as a like a fellow on a fellowship and then I spent a few other years sort of bouncing around actually here in the Midwest I had uh, another position fellowship at University of Illinois but uh Champaign Urbana and then uh then after that here at, at UIC University of Illinois, Chicago and then, as happens in, in kind of this world, is that uh, uh, Notre Dame was, um, uh, had a job opening for an anthropologist that also did Latino studies. And so I applied, and then uh, they seemed to like what, uh, what I do, <laughs> and so I ended up there, which is great, because it's close to the city, and I get to see all my friends still and uh, get to hang out with you all
2: that's awesome <laughs> and um you know i did my research and <laughs> i understand that you have a little bit of you know you're, you're a celebrity you got a
4: you oh, got a no, music no. career no. you know is this, and a is book this, is this stephanie's, <laughs> and, is this stephanie's uh, doing uh, no no nope, this hasn't <laughs> stephanie did not put us behind i'm staring her down right now <laughs> yeah um oh, what'd but, you what'd you hear what was that what's that all about
2: uh well, you know, I was on Google, I was looking at <laughs> books and albums and um and I was on your Instagram, y'all got many hits on, on Spotify. Ooh, I yeah, saw that that was awesome. A, a
4: few, yeah. Yeah. A few thousand, hundred <laughs> thousand.
2: But um yeah, well, beyond that, um how do you feel like knowing that uh well I'm guessing that that's your passion, uh being able sure. to teach this kind of stuff to your students
4: yeah that's a great question um yeah i sort of tell people all the time because i actually it's great that you're asking me this question because i get that sometimes when i travel to like give lectures and things like that because people subsequently find out like oh well you're a musician too which is like well yeah that's definitely part of what i do and i guess the way i always explain it to folks is that that's part of my identity it's not a hobby. it's not an afterthought, but it's integral to like who I am, but also it's really integral to the, the things that I teach and the research that I do. So for instance, I published a book on music and migration on, on this particular musical tradition among Mexican migrants. Uh, and part of that, you know sort of process for me was actually playing that music, you know, in community. Uh, and then you know, beyond that, just my own personal projects that you're you're kind of alluding to it's a passion but it's it's also something that definitely informs like what um what i do in the classroom and how i how i circulate kind of in the world of music and art and and kind of an activism and how i i you know thinking about those things outside the classroom i i'm able to sort of bring them into the classroom and so um they go hand in hand for me and and so it's it's you can't have at least for me you can't have one without the other Uh, And so I I feel um, really fortunate to be able to to do that in the classroom. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, And, yeah, it's my passion, so it's great to be able to to do that. So, yeah, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, you're funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And I know that we're already... 20 minutes into this show, people are like, okay, can you please get to what it is that you and Zipporah taught at this, <laughs> in this class? Well, we, um, we were invited, um, because of Alex, on behalf of Yolo Kali. And me and Zipporah both are, well, not to brag, but really good at what we do. But um, <laughs> specifically...
3: Um, I taught creative writing.
2: And I taught um, audio editing. Um, and using these combined skills, uh, well, in what we do here at Yolo Kali in our class, Your Story, Your Way, uh, we write and then we edit with our writing. We record it and then we create an audio piece. So using our creative writing and audio editing skills, we taught a class on pretty much how to make an audio piece. you could check out Yolo Kali's Instagram at Yolo Kali to see... Uh, photos from that event. So, do
3: you want to talk about like your experience with like teaching the class?
2: Um, it was definitely I. I think um I was stressed, but I really enjoyed every single part of um of this experience. Um, yeah. I it really took a lot of planning to do with what we taught. Um, definitely I th- I'm I'm proud of what I taught. I'm glad that I was given the opportunity to begin with, and I i'm proud with the content and the content i created and with what it is that i hope that that class learned yeah Um, i'm really yeah i'm happy with how it is that it turned out
3: i'm so happy that we had like this opportunity to do this and i feel like it was so weird just because of how different what we taught like how different it was and like having to come together and like figure that out together, like how we're going to merge them into one. Because like you do need like both of these skills in order to make an audio piece, but like the two skills are so different. So it was so weird, but it was really, really great. I think for me, it really made me notice what I do. And I feel like so many times, like it's so easy to just like brush it off and just be like whatever like I just do it and like that's it and like I was kind of like forced to be like okay when I write a script I do this and this and this and I think that that was like the hardest part for me like having to break it down and elaborate on what I do like every day and like you don't even think about it
2: yeah and definitely beyond just teaching this class it really I think gave me a second to think wait what I'm doing here at YOLO is crazy like (laughs) right I'm, I'm actually like I'm writing what it is that Is going on in my crazy brain And then I'm recording it And then I'm editing it And it's like This is crazy I'm always
3: like I'm such a bum I don't do anything (laughs) And like there's just like A couple times Where like there's moments Like these Where like you actually Have to like Really see what you do And you're like Oh that's pretty cool Actually
2: Like learn to love What it is that you produce And if you don't produce something Um don't be scared to put yourself out there. Learn new things. We're
3: over here bragging about how great we did, but we our have... S-
2: our students were the, were the scholars here. We have a,
3: right, a real scholar right here to tell us if we actually like deserve to be bragging or not. Right. So no. we have one of our students, one of the students from Notre Dame
5: that we did the class with. Hello. Um, so what's your name? Uh, my name's Taja. Hello, everyone. How are y'all? We're good. How are you?
2: I'm (laughs) popping.
5: I think I feel that I'm popping too. (laughs) So um, how was
3: this experience for you like doing the class? From a student's like perspective.
5: Well from my perspective it was a really interesting like class period um, especially with like the creative writing aspect of it and then like just learning how to you know do the audio and like put it together and make it into something that's a really cohesive project, um, especially with like the creative writing side. Like I am a writer, so like being able to kind of see like how to write a script, what goes into it, um, and really just taking that time to really think about it was really interesting. And then also I've never done a podcast before this class, so like learning about like the technicalities and like everything with the audio and like putting it together, cutting stuff, you know. Making it, again, into a very cohesive project was a very, like, interesting time for me. So y'all did great. Y'all deserve to be bragging. Hey, thank <laughs> you. <laughs>
2: well, um, another question. How, well, um, your audio piece, what was the inspiration behind what it is that you created?
5: Um, so, unfortunately, y'all won't get to hear my piece today. But my topic, I kind of changed it from, like, when I first started until now. Um, so I'm pretty much writing about how music can be a tool for, like, um, social commentary um, and, like, talking about social issues. Um, so the inspiration behind that was mostly because of, like, there's a lot going on um, in our world today, and, you know, it's not really that big of a jump from when things were happening with, like, the Civil Rights Movement and things like that. Um, and so I was I just wanted to, you know, kind of put it all together and, um, you know, see how things have or haven't changed since you know the 1950s and 60s to now even though it's been like 60 years
2: yeah um well from us well you said that you know we gave a great class (laughs) um is there anything like important that you took out of what it is that we taught maybe beyond like just the technical parts of it
5: um i think going back to like i said the creative writing aspect you know like i said i'm kind of a writer i'm more on like the poetry side um and so like having that you know kind of tutorial and kind of seeing that like you know you know beginning middle and end but like also making it to where it's not like your typical beginning middle and end you know like making it into your own thing um was really interesting especially because like I'm also trying to get into creative writing so like you know just figuring all those kind of things out and kind of like seeing the similarities and the differences between again like poetry and spoken word and then like you know actual creative writing was very interesting for me and i'm really appreciative for y'all coming and talking to me about that
3: we appreciate you too
5: <laughs> for real. do you think that you'll do another audio piece oh no y'all gonna have to um you know see you gonna have to, gonna have to wait and see okay
2: yeah i have to stay tuned <laughs> well um th- we thank you so much for um being in that class and um With me thanking you, do do you want to say how it is that you became involved with the class that Alex teaches?
5: Yeah, so um, I saw, the when I was first um, applying for my classes last spring, I saw the class and, you know, the time frame was kind of, was kind of iffy for me, you know, but, um, so I kind of like looked at it, kind of passed it, and then I went to uh, my advisor and she was like, yeah, like you have to get in this class, like Professor Chavez, he's great, um, and so I was like, okay, you know, like I was already looking at it. So I might as well go ahead and give it a try. Um, and I do want to thank Professor Chavez because this class has been really great. Um, and I've learned a lot about different, you know, um, musical genres and musical styles that I probably wouldn't have known about if I didn't take this class. Um, so, yeah.
3: Um, What do you think you would have been doing if you didn't take this class?
5: Honestly, I probably would have either been like, working or i would have went home went to sleep you know <laughs> like 3 30 to 6 15 that's a that's a big chunk of time yeah. but you know i need something else to do with my tuesday evening so
2: um and one last question uh do you have any highlights or like best um and worst part of the experience with um making an audio piece um
5: i think the best part was just coming up with my script, you know, and kind of figuring out, like, what exactly I wanted to talk about, um, you know, what songs that I wanted to kind of, you know, take pieces from and actually put in the audio piece and then kind of, you know, bringing my own sense of analysis, bringing my own interpretation into it. I think the worst part was just still just trying to, even though, like like I said, y'all did a great job at teaching us, but still, like, going through and trying to figure everything out, like, technical-wise was a challenge. And it's still kind of a challenge, but you know i'm working through it so
3: yeah i think for me like whenever i do an audio piece i actually feel like i haven't done that many but for the audio pieces that i did do even if it has like nothing to do with me or if it is about me like i feel like there's always like some part of me that i do put in there and some personal aspect of my life that i put in there do you think that you did that too or no
5: i definitely did that with my podcast um because of the fact that, like, you know, me being a black woman, you know, and yeah. in the U.S. and, like, seeing a lot of the atrocities that happen, whether it's on the news or on social media, um, you know, that affects your everyday life. Like, it affects how you look at the world. So, like, I don't think I could have made my podcast without putting a little piece of how I interpret things or how, you know, everything that happens in our society kind of affects me and, like, people that I'm close to and that I care about. So yeah, I don't think I could have did my podcast without putting a little bit of, like, myself in it. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh, And, oh, well, I said it last time, but last (laughs) thing, um, could you say exactly what it is that, um, what your, Professor Chavez said that, um, the project was, or what exactly it is that you had to do?
5: So, basically, what our project was, we had to, like, kind of pick a topic, um, so, kind of, you know, still basing it around music, because that was the big focal part of, um, our class, but, you know, taking either a genre or a musical style um, and kind of relating it to your own life, relating relating it to your everyday. Um, And, you know, we had to make a 10 to 12 minute podcast basically talking about like what um, style of music or like what genre, um, you know, kind of like the history of that genre, um, how it kind of relates to modern day um, and pretty much any other kind of like personalization you wanted to put into it. Um, which again, except I've never done anything like this before, so it was a really great experience. Um, and I, you know, except stay tuned. I might make another one. You never know. But, um, (laughs) again, I really just want to thank Professor Chavez for giving me this opportunity. So.
3: If you do, let us know. You (laughs) might even play it on a radio show. I I
5: got you. I got you. I'm going to let y'all know. (laughs) (laughs) the link. (laughs) But thank you so
3: much again for being here and being part of the class and being able to do this assignment and
5: just everything. No problem. Thank y'all for having me, and thank y'all for coming and teaching us because it was a really eye-opening experience.
3: Of course. No problem. Well, right now we're going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We're going to be back and better. (laughs) you are listening to wlpn lp chicago 105.5 fm lumpen radio broadcasting live from studio y at Cali in little village i'm zipporah
2: and i'm emmanuel
3: and we're back
2: not for long though we're gonna play our first podcast
4: this is a podcast um produced by tim machuda who's not here today uh he's actually back in notre dame he had a recital a performance today so but um This podcast is about Latino music and sort of contemporary politics. It's it's a really, really interesting sort of story that he's telling. So
2: enjoy, guys. (laughs) Hey,
6: guys. It's Tim Machuda. Welcome to my podcast. Daddy Yankee's Despacito, Despacito. J Balvin and Beyoncé's gente, Camila Cabello's Havana. Havana, Cardi B's I like it like, it like it like That, Latin pop artists have taken the top charts by storm recently, and the whole world is listening. If you had no idea about the current state of affairs in the United States, Looking at the top music charts, you would think we have a good blend and appreciation of both American and Latin cultures in the US. But that is about as far from the truth as it gets. In the politically charged space that is the United States, how is Latin music so widely accepted despite the clear divisions of borders and immigration in America? How has the rise of popularity of Latin music contrasted these divisions? And how does this music reflect Latin artists' and citizens' identity? Identity, identity. Let's dive in and see. In case you live in a barn and haven't heard any of the news or controversy lately, there has been a lot of heat on the President and his administration's handling of Mexican citizens crossing the U.S. border. Much of this started back in April 2018 when President Trump released a White House Presidential Memorandum about ending catch and release at the border. What this basically means is that illegal aliens crossing the US border would be detained rather than the old way of catch and release. So, let's see what effect this has had on immigration lately with a couple of quick stats. Quick stats! First of all, did you know that according to the Pew Research Center, as many as 25% of immigrants to the United States are from Mexico? With this, in 2017, approximately 311,000 illegal immigrants were apprehended. Then, in the first three months of 2018 alone, 53,764 Mexicans were deported. That number reflects just Mexicans, not immigrants from any other country. And that was before the White House Presidential Memorandum. Since then, the United States has run into quite a few snafus. One of the biggest was this summer when thousands of Mexican children were detained and separated from their parents. From April 19th to June 9th, 2018 alone, 4,342 children were stripped from their parents. What's even more shocking than this is that as the end of August 2018, the presidential administration still has not reunited more than 167 children, all under 18, to their parents. Taking all of this into account then, The U.S. has now officially peaked to a grand total of 313,011 people apprehended at the southwest border in 2018, 313,011 people apprehended, that is, arrested, treated like a criminal with handcuffs, detained, and then sent away, 313,011 people so far this year. That's larger than the entire population of all of Cincinnati. With these unbelievable statistics, you would think all of the US relations with Latino people would be terrible, right? Well, if we take a look at the music industry lately, Latino artists are doing quite the opposite. They are thriving. Thriving. Before we get into the who's who in today's Latino music scene, let's take a quick trip down memory lane with some history. Going all the way back to the 1950s, we find one particularly influential Latino artist, Richie Valens. Richie Richie was a Mexican-American singer-songwriter who made his break into rock and roll. Initially, when he started performing, he was coerced into hiding his Latino identity, but then eventually came to embrace it. Unfortunately, Richie's music career came to an abrupt halt with the tragic night of February 3rd 1959. While attempting to fly from Iowa to North Dakota in the middle of tour, this cutting-edge musician was involved in a tragic plane crash. At just 17 years old, Richie Valens unfortunately did not survive the charter plane's crash. Fast forwarding to today, contrary to Richie Valen's era in the 50s, more and more Latino artists and Latin influences are becoming apparent in the pop music scene without the fear or need to whitewash or hide one's identity. One of the major instances of pop music experiencing Latino influence can be seen by Justin Bieber, Luis Fonsi, and Daddy Yankee's worldwide hit Despacito. This song which hit the number one on music charts in 47 countries has the addictive beat of cumbia mixed with reggaeton and Latin pop. Even though I would guess that the majority of listeners do not have any idea what the Spanish lyrics mean in the song, this song took the world by storm in the beginning of 2017. Soon following Despacito, was the Puerto Rican hip-hop mix song Mi Gente, Gente. which was released in June of 2017. This song, which hit number two on many Latin music charts at its original release, gained its major success in the United States when Beyonce Beyonce. recorded her cover of the song later in the year. At this point, the remix of Mi Gente dethroned the previous king of the top charts, Despacito, by reaching number one in the united states latin charts aside from its latino recognition these two songs in succession proved to be the first two non-english songs to reach top 10 status in general music charts of all of history not too long after Cuban-American singer Camila Cabello released an album with the hit song Havana. Havana. This song, which reached number one on the top charts in 12 countries, reflects many salsa songs with its repetitive bassline and emphasis on beats two and four. With this song, three major Latino hits took the world by storm within just a few months of time. Digging into Camila Cabello as an artist, Artist. it is interesting that she is originally from Cuba and immigrated to Miami, Florida. Not too long after, Camila competed in the TV show X X Factor and was placed as a member of the famous pop group Fifth Harmony. This experience, which Camila largely attributes to her success, reflects her mom's perspective that no matter where you come from, if you work hard and are good to people, life will be good to you. Following her stint in Fifth Harmony, the group decided to break up and Camilla chose to continue pursuing her vocal career. In the beginning of 2018, Camilla released her own solo album titled Camilla, which clearly reflects her influence of Cuban-Mexican roots. If it was not already apparent by the tracks released on the album, Camila has outright stated that her music influences come from salsa legend Celia Cruz, as well as Alejandro Fernandez. With this, contrary to Latino artists in the 1900s, such as Richie Valens, Camila Cabello is proud of her Cuban heritage and has outright stated so. In an interview, Camila has been quoted saying, I am am proud proud to be be Cuban-Mexican This country was built on immigrants, people who were brave enough to start over. How strong we are to leave behind everything we know in hopes of something better. We are not fearless, we just have dreams bigger than our fears. We jump, we run, we swim, we move mountains, we do whatever it takes. And so next time, when anybody wants to tell you that they want to build a wall on our border, Remember, behind that wall is struggle, determination, and hunger. Behind that wall could be the next cure for cancer, the next scientist, the next artist, the next drummer, the next anything they work hard enough to become. As a Latina immigrant to the United States, Camila very clearly reflects the ideology that many immigrants share when coming to the U.S. As stated in Linda Martin Alcoff's article, Latinos Beyond the Binary, the author challenges the view of immigrants coming to America with the hope of promise promise, but quickly experiencing the reality of threat. Threat. This is very much a result of what Alcoff defines as Latinidad, that is, the concept that since Latinos are non-white, they are immediately racialized Racialized and and otherized in the United States. With this, Alcoff challenges us to break down our current ideals of race and ethnicity, since race is merely a social construct. For, race and freedom were born together in the United States. Reflecting back to the deep talk of the United States' hard control of the Mexican border, it is interesting to see that the popularity of Latino music Latin artists and even non-Latin artists performing Latino songs has largely grown in the recent years. So much so that in 2017 alone, 19 Latin songs hit the top 100 charts, and even more in 2018, which the magnitude has yet to be determined because the year has not quite finished. It is clear that many people in the U.S. love and embrace Latin artists and their music, Rather than shying away from the diverse backgrounds that they bring to the pop culture scene, Americans are intrigued and inspired by the stories of artists' cultural backgrounds and upbringings. Now, although we mainly touched on the issues of immigration prevalent at the United States-Mexico border, the same sentiments can be broadened to the perspective of all Latino people immigrating to America. No matter what side you stand on politically, I would challenge you to adopt a fresh perspective on people immigrating to the United States, especially those who are Latino. Instead of viewing immigration from a political standpoint as a mere set of rules on paper, we, the people of the United States, need to weigh immigration from a humanistic perspective. Imagine a world where America could embrace Latino people and their culture just as we embrace their music today.
2: Hey, guys, we're back. Don't forget that you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Kali, and Little Village. My name is Emmanuel.
3: My name is Zipporah.
2: And we're so your amazing hosts for today's show. So some positive notes I wrote about this um, audio piece. I think um, it was great how he um, used a lot of real-life examples when he talked about politics or, like... Um, social life or just like how he related it all to modern music I think that was really good and technically with his audio piece I liked his uh, use of sounds his use of effects he had a really clear voice and it was just a really like peaceful and enjoyable audio piece
3: no yeah it was really peaceful and he was very well spoken
2: yeah and he um he said he gave us some really good information and it was not boring it wasn't like you know a history textbook it was (laughs) yeah it was enjoyable and I like that he also um, infused some humor into his piece it really like vamped it up made it modern
3: and just like the song his song choice oh yeah
2: his song choice so um, we have the instructor Alex here to talk a little bit about um, his audio piece
4: yeah so Tim um, he's a musician as well so a lot of that sort of music was uh, like he originally like recorded it and his voice uh, he sings as well so that was I'd never had anybody do that before for for an audio piece for a podcast, so that was really cool. Uh, And, yeah, so, you know, he gave you a sense of contemporary, you know, sort of the landscape of Latino music, which, um, you know, is definitely one of the things that we talk about in the the class and uh, with respect to a bunch of genres. I mean, the class is called Ballads to Hip Hop, but, you know, we, we deal with hip hop, uh, we, we cover salsa, cumbia, uh, Mexican son, son jarocho, and ballads is a reference to uh, like the corrido, the Mexican ballad. And so we, we do a lot of stuff, and so he kind of talked a little bit about a lot of that, uh, a lot of the different genres, so that was great. And I think that his podcast and the next two that we're going to hear um, are very much uh, about the sort of contemporary landscape of, of, of Latino music, and so... I know our next one is up, so I want to introduce a student to maybe uh, just tell you what she did.
7: Hi, I'm Natalie.
2: <laughs> Hello, Natalie. Um, could you tell us just a brief little um, intro to what your piece is about? Um, no
3: spoiler th- alerts. Oh, yeah.
7: <laughs> <No> spoilers. <laughs> okay, so I talk a bit about how certain genres of Latino music are used to sort of Generalize multiple cultures and how attempts to change that have sometimes hit the mark and sometimes miss it. So, mm. we'll get to see more of that in the podcast.
2: Oh, I'm excited. Okay, let's so get right nice. into it and we'll be back.
7: Hello, everyone. My name is Natalie Howe, and today we'll be talking about Latin music portrayed as a tool for defining Latinidad in the Western world and how this leads to an erasure of cultural origins and commercializes tradition. We'll call this podcast The Commoditization of Unity. The Latino culture is one that is a diverse composition of people reflected in the arts, particularly in the music of the culture as it reaches those of all traditions, backgrounds, and lifestyles. The false uniformity in which the Latino culture has been painted as and lumped into neglects the influences of specific groups on the music, as well as the influence that Latinos have had on other genres as Latin music continues to remain separated in its own category. It is erroneous to say that Latin music evolved in its own bubble of Latinidad. Rather, it is paralleled by the Latino experience, one of multicultural influences and roots that has had a global effect on cultures and arts in the United States. I'll be documenting how Latinos have weaved in and out of American culture, touching on boogaloo, salsa, and cumbia, and how the commoditization and commercialization of the culture comes into play in the relationships that Latinos have with each other and with America. Latinos came to the U.S. in waves, beginning with people from the Caribbean and followed by Mexico and South America. As their presence in America grew, the traditional white-black racial binary, which to this day still defines America, didn't seem to accommodate Latinos, A group of millions spanning two continents, Latinos can have indigenous roots, be descended from Africans, or have connections to the Iberian and European conquistadors, or be any mix of all three. When the first wave of Latinos began immigrating to America, they congregated in cities like Chicago and New York, where they could continue to engage with their culture as they integrated into Americas, bridging the gap. As the numbers grew, Latino cultures began melding together as well as with black communities in America. Boogaloo is a prime example where mambo and blues married in a genre. However, a lot of it stemmed from the ambiguity of the concept of Latinidad. Practically futile to define, it can be described as an identity intersecting black, native, and white influences in their traditions and customs. Boogaloo for a while thrived in communities like New York where the mixing of cultures was commonplace. However, It faced opposition by people who wanted to go back to the sounds of true and traditional Latino music. That led to the creation of salsa, which was strongly influenced by Colombian-Caribbean sounds. However, it was created in America to respect and reclaim Latin roots in the name of tradition. Fundamentally, it is an American genre, although it has since been embraced throughout all of Latin America. One could argue that this was a contributing driver in the otherification of Latinidad, which continues to this day salsa is used as the de facto music in any sort of pop culture reference to Latino culture despite being American. As a Latin presence in the US continued to grow in the mid to late 1900s, Latinos became a new consumer demographic leading to increased marketing and categorization of their existence. In a Western context, the genre of salsa became the go-to music to exoticize whatever was being presented. While it is definitely massively popular in all Latin countries, and does serve as a symbol of Latinidad, Salsa's American origins and superficial application to identify Latino culture could lead some to reject it as an all-encompassing genre. A similar argument could be made for cumbia. The sonidero style that many people are familiar with came through Mexico with origins in Colombia. It, too, now serves as the default music in social gatherings for those who share any sort of Latino identity. Both cumbia and salsa serve fundamentally the same purpose in uniting Latinos, but the context of these musical umbrellas greatly differs. Salsa's exploitation marks a racial and ethnic separation of a group of people. It is used in pop culture to point them out. The dance-heavy tropical sounds makes it known that whatever is being presented is different because they are Latino. The settings Latinidad defines the actions and very existence of that person or scene, otherizing the context through the salsa music background. Whether the event portrayed is an Afro-Latina from Bolivia giving a speech or a white Puerto Rican dancing, salsa in the Western context has been used to unite and flatten the complexity of Latinidad. There are potential upsides, so to speak, in having a musical genre define a broad culture that is divided by issues of racism and classism. It can serve as a way to connect and identify with that culture, especially in a time where people of different backgrounds must work together in the wake of political discourse. However, it comes with knowing that the shared cultural identity inevitably leads to the marketing and exploitation of traditions and lifestyles. The commercialization of cultures has existed since the dawn of time, and while salsa has historically been one of the strongest marketing tools towards the heterogeneous groups of Latinos, Nowadays, the nuances of different cultures are being realized, yet still, they are used as tools of consumption. Mexico, the country with the most Latino emigrants to America, can easily and hastily be referenced with calaveras and cacti, tacos and hot sauce, and people like Frida Kahlo and Selena, both who arguably influenced the Mexican-American community more through their posthumous commoditization than they did with their own arts decades ago. It leads to the question of how and where authentic representation can happen in the arts. The Disney movie Coco successfully did this in its thorough research of the Mexican celebration of Day of the Dead by incorporating Latinos in the production of the movie and showcasing many aspects of Mexican culture, geography, and values. A lot of the questions of representation are heavily based on the political standing of the artists and their art. And failing to do that can lead to any Latino reference to appear as pandering. An example of this is when salsa music is used as the generic background of internet recipes of enchilada-inspired hamburgers. Or another example in the music scene is tacking Selena Gomez onto a Spanish song with the most popular Latino artists. Many people find it inauthentic, as she never stood for being Mexican, never advocated for issues in the Latino communities, and always presented herself as the American girl next door kind of celebrity. This contrasts with artists like Becky G can sing in Spanish and English and shares personal stories like praying the rosary and going to swap meets in her songs. Or even Cardi B's and Abashed Dominican Pride can be seen in her remix of I Like It Like That, nodding to the New York Boogaloo. Both of these artists are representing their roots and their culture and are not using their Latinidad to market themselves. While it is a tool for them, their music goes beyond their cultural identities. As in the Selena movie, many American Latinos find themselves straddling a life where they feel like they are not Mexican enough, or Colombian, or Latino enough in general. But they're also not American enough, despite growing up in the US. Sometimes it becomes easier to racialize every action. The idea of Latinos uniting musically and artistically to parallel similar identities of politics ignores the nuances and uniqueness that every country and culture brings to american culture it erases the original influences of latinidad and while it helps with connecting back to homelands roots and traditions it eases the commoditization and commercialization of the cultures involved thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time
3: You are listening to WLPN LP Chicago one hundred five point five FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio Y Yolo
2: Cali and Little Village. Village. Well, right? hey y'all, we're back. My name is Zipporah. My name is Emmanuel, <laughs> and we're still your amazing hosts. So, um, moving on. That was a great audio piece. Um, that was Natalie's audio piece, and um, some positive notes I have about that. I love how she started and ended with the same Latin sound. I think it was a great intro and outro. It made it um go super smoothly, like technically, and uh she was playing some bops up in there. She started with the yeah, I know. And then she was playing Cardi B. It was like popping, and then I also really enjoyed how she just like tapped onto different aspects of music, like just the different genres. And then she did it um like like the first one we heard by Timothy um not boring history. Like, I enjoyed that they um, really did get in-depth with all that. So, um, and also, it sounds like she did her research. She, she was prepared for this. I know. Mm-hmm. So, um, speaking of Natalie, hey, hey, what up, Natalie? Hey, hey. Okay, so we have um, some quick questions to ask you about your audio piece. So, uh, well, we know your name's Natalie. Um, how was um, this experience in making the audio piece from start to finish?
7: It was definitely different. Um, I felt like this podcast was like a multimedia expression of like our final project. Like there was writing involved, there was music, and it was definitely different. Um, I tend to compartmentalize whenever I'm performing any sort of art. So trying to combine the two, especially because my casual voice is super colloquial and this was sort of written like an essay, trying to find that balance was definitely new.
3: How is recording yourself? Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I definitely feel that, like, whenever I'm recording for an audio piece, I'm just, like, uh, And I have to, like, think, like, of, I don't know, just, like, thinking of how your voice sounds and, like, really concentrating on that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's why um I, whenever I write a script, I have actors record my stuff. I, like, get other people's voices. So I don't have to know, hear mine. you
3: always do. But I think that, like, the more that you... <laughs> <laughs> the more that you edit your voice, like the more that you like get, uh, get used cu- to. Not
2: just get used to it, but the more you change how you talk. Like, not that you're gonna change how you talk, but like you, yeah. you know how you know how you like to sound.
3: Yeah. Even if you still hate your voice, like you get used to hating your voice, so it doesn't even matter <laughs> anymore. <laughs> like
2: I, like I change how I sound. I'm like, yeah. Hello, my name is Emmanuel
3: To hello, my name is Emmanuel
2: No. Okay, whatever. Okay. Well, this is about Natalie.
3: Um. <laughs> yeah so how do you think that the class helped you
7: um it definitely taught me a lot of history so I originally took this class because I needed some sort of anthropology or sociology class and this one combined music with like issues of anthropology and like identity in Latino community. so I really liked that and the class gave me a lot of Like, knowledge about history and modern music, and sort of the evolution of music along the way in different cultures and Mexico versus America. So, knowing all of that made it a lot easier to apply this to my podcast. Mm -hmm.
3: So, this piece was personal to you?
7: Definitely. Um, I chose this topic because, like, I grew up half Mexican, and most of what I knew was in a family context about Mexico and, like, the culture. And I didn't really get the social aspect until, like, the age of social media. And sort of the first things you see are ish- like, things like Selena or food. So you identify with that. There's other people who have that identity. But then after a few years, you sort of realize that they become tropes. And we learned mm-hmm. in this class that music reflects that culture. And sort of I applied this with like, how this applies to music, you know, issues of authenticity and representation and how that's important without the exploitation of culture and how it's evolving to being more important, but also how sometimes it doesn't quite hit the mark
2: um how well two and one question um how do you think that making this audio piece um has impacted your personal life and do you think that with making this audio piece you can impact somebody else who's listening
7: i think this podcast helped me organize my thoughts my opinions about like current music so i can express them more eloquently and easily um hopefully some of those ideas encourage people to think about how they listen to modern music or even older music um Hopefully they can form their own opinions about it too, while understanding the context behind it.
2: Um, any highlights, any highs or lows for in, during the process of this? Um,
7: I think trying to pick the music like there's so much good music out there. I was trying yes, to pick. Yes,
3: I feel that.
7: Yeah, <laughs> trying to find the right music that fits the mood. That yeah. was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. And then like knowing how to place it, mm-hmm. but it was definitely enjoyable in the end. Yeah.
2: And then um, last question: us teaching our uh, the class from one to ten.
7: 10 definitely was fun.
2: Imagine she's like, 10 is the worst and one is the best. (laughs) That
7: would be sad.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We were so glad to have been given the opportunity. And, um, i i don't know i just really enjoy like you know we worked hard on helping to teach uh you guys to make this and then to see the great things that came out of it yeah. like you guys produced amazing stuff and there's still more to come so guys stay tuned for the rest of this show thank you so much natalie yeah, thank you so much having you thank and you. now we're gonna move on to our next podcast guys so hopefully you guys enjoy <laughs>
8: Hello, my name is
9: Amelia and today I'll be talking about Narcocorridos and their cross-cultural impact seen within communities residing on either side of the Mexican-American border. Narcocorridos have come from a rise in drug trafficking between the two nations with a high demand on the American side contributing to the continual rise of violence and trafficking. Periodic reports of gun violence and links between government officials and drug cartels has become a common scene in Mexico, a nation characterized by appalling violence, government indifference, and the loss of hope for a safer future. This can be emblemized with the disappearance of 43 student protesters.
1: Uh-huh.
8: They were
9: forcibly taken by local authorities and subsequently vanished into thin air in 2014 and whose search uncovered 60 mass grave sites.
2: Viendo todo esto, entiende uno ese temor. Continuando en el relato de los hechos, los detenidos declaran que cuando bajan al lugar donde se habían arrojado y quemado los cuerpos, recibieron la orden de quien apodan el terco de fracturar los restos de los huesos, de los huesos calcinados, para ser depositados en bolsas de basura negras.
9: It is also not uncommon for journalists who cover topics related to the narco-violence in the nation to be threatened, tortured, and murdered, contributing to the reoccurring images of brutalized bodies that can be seen throughout the nation, particularly in the northern and central states. I will be talking about the rise of the narco-economy and ultimately the rise of the narco-corrido, which gets vilified due to its graphic descriptions of violence and its glamorization of the narco-lifestyle, which is believed to promote it. However, I argue that this musical genre contains the positive aspects of tying together broader cross-border communities, linking the experiences of migrants and those who wish to get away from the poverty and social-political circumstances that have been created in the place they call home. I hope to give voice to those that are disadvantaged and stuck in a paradigm that entails poverty and violence. In 1848, the U.S.-Mexico border became a site for intense smuggling and the commercial production of drugs. The narcoeconomy has further roots tying it to the early 20th century through the facilitation of growth, trafficking, and distribution of amapola, or opium, through the Mexican and American governments. The narcotics business in Mexico saw a boom in the 70's and 80's as Caribbean routes for Colombian cartels became compromised, leading to the creation of a multi-billion dollar business of drug trafficking that runs through Central America and Mexico. This has led to a rise of highly interpenetrated legal-illegal activity within the nation where agents of state and civil society are critical gatekeepers. It is estimated that cocaine traffickers alone spend about $500 million per year on bribery of officials. However, this multi-billion dollar business has become a source of agony for the nation of Mexico, where 60,000 drug-related murders have occurred since 2006, and between 230,000 and 1.6 million people have been displaced. Homicide statistics reach an estimated 150,000 victims, including cartel members, law enforcement personnel, officials, journalists, and innocent civilians. These activities have been shaped by a larger polyeconomical context where facilitation and encouragement by the U.S. through direct involvement and through NAFTA and other involved trade policies have intended to stem the opening of the Mexican economy. The implementation of NAFTA in 1994 led to the loss of 1.3 million rural jobs in Mexico due to the agricultural trade liberalization linked to NAFTA. A cross-border inequality and the removal of a safety net rapidly led to the displacement of Mexican farmers, especially those who produce for the domestic market, leaving them to face the harsh realities of a global market with no resources or means to survive and compete. The changing of the economic landscape in Mexico has led to both urban and rural emigration, with migrants traveling towards cities and the U.S. in hope of greater opportunities for success. As stated by James H. McDonald in towns across Mexico, quote, unfortunate reality in this part of rural Mexico is that young people, primarily men, have three options. First, they can be farmers with little or no land who can only aspire to a life that will result in poverty. Second, they can migrate, most likely to the United States, in search of jobs and higher wages. Third, they can get involved with the local narco economy, sometimes in conjunction with being a migrant. The final option will have an increasingly strong attraction for young men living in the poor margins as the rural economy continues to collapse and the U.S. economy continues to falter, further constricting the job market for U.S.-bound migrants." End quote. There is little that the average citizen can do to counter the fear that stems from the violence and unpredictability within the nation, creating frustration within the individual. This frustration is depicted in the song, Veredicto Final by Los Traviesos de la Sierra, where a hitman presents himself before a judge, begging him to consider his situation and circumstances that led to his decisions, and how higher institutional forces contributed to this.
10: The audience is able
9: to hear a back and forth between the judge and the hitman, who each defiantly defend their positions and placements, with hitman claiming that his career choice is the only viable option to place food on the table for his family. He begs the judge to hear him out before making his final decision and to not ignore him like the rest of the officials in Mexico often do. Narco are famous for conjuring images and lyrical compositions on the topic of violence. The narco corrido stems from the corrido, which traditionally was used to spread news among illiterate populations and displayed the hardships and sorrows often faced, depicting an otherwise unseen landscape within the population. Corridos have been popularly used to vocalize sentiments of the suffering and otherwise inaccessible information. Artists such as Chalino Sánchez and Los Tigres del Norte contributed to the rise in popularity of the narcocorrido. Narcocorridos have been ingrained in Mexico's musical culture since the 70s and are more popular in the region of northern Mexico, where drug trafficking and production is greater integrated into the society. Due to the rise of violence in Mexico and the disposability of brown bodies across the border, it is to no surprise that the subgenre of Narcocorridos rose. Christina Baker notes, quote, Groups such as I Heart Memphis are emblematic of U.S. Southern trap music, which is known for emulating sounds of gunfire vocally and through synthesizers. While many trap songs are about confidence and enjoying life, sonically, the music style broadly reflects the gun violence experienced by black bodies on an all-too-regular basis. Within Latin America, the Brazilian funk variant known as projivado is a prime example of not just integrating bullet sounds into music, but also of the relationship between social conflict and musical response. The specific style is indefinitely linked to the way gun violence is used against Brazilian favelas by outside intruders such as police, as well as used by favela inhabitants as a form of protection." End quote. This connection of music as a mechanism to uncover the voices of those unheard and who are being shut and shot down is nothing new, giving voice to a marginally oppressed population. Juan Carlos Ramirez Pimienta argues that narcocorridos serve a polyfunctional role where an attached stigma does not reduce its popularity and where it is used as a medium to disseminate diverse messages. It can be seen as a desperation to find the words to describe the horrors experienced by many, and most narcocorridos speak about these incidents of horror without pity. It is a prime example of music being used as a discursive tool. As exemplified with the song Benedicto Final, many narcocorridos bring to the attention the tensions between the criminal underworld and law enforcement across border communities. They give voice to those that live within those communities and voice the violence that remains due to the social-political factors that keep it in place. This musical genre, rather than exacerbating the problem, brings it to the attention of the people, depicting the sorrowful paths that many are faced with and choose to walk through. The subgenre often contains coded terms that exclusive audiences who directly are faced in these situations are able to recognize. Even without recognition, many migrants on the borderlands are able to relate to this music, though it may be indirectly. Regardless, the music message being depicted is apparent and can be seen as a call to address these issues. As stated by Christina Baker, quote, Herman Harlingas describes part of the success of this genre is the way these transnational corridos draw on a living repertoire of effective dispositions to which they have given a fabulous vitality. End quote. They are able to draw in audiences through their vivid descriptions of both the luxuries and hardships faced by those participating in drug trafficking, depicting sometimes exaggerated experiences that are meant to portray a message, whether it be a wary or inviting one. The vast majority of characters being depicted in arco corridos are those who find themselves in poverty coming from La Sierra and small towns in Mexico where there is a lack of education, lack of water, and a lack of job opportunity. This can be seen in the song La Costudera with the story of a boy who at a young age opts to create opportunity for himself and succeeds in bringing his mother out of poverty. We were able to see the forces that drove his decision of joining the drug trafficking sphere, which is highly influenced by not wanting to see his mother struggle and be in poverty. This depicts not only the economic, but also the social and interpersonal factors that create the integration of a narco economy in Mexico. Its emphasis on not wanting to see his mother suffering and poverty is an experience that many migrants encounter, and the strong familial ties depicted in the song is something many migrants that choose to cross the U.S.-Mexico border are faced with. Overall, the subgenre of narcocorridos contributes to the borderland experience by reviving and rehumanizing Mexican bodies, giving in to the notion that these bodies are victims of the circumstantial, socio-economical, and political factors that have shaped the narco-economy
2: in Mexico. Hey guys, what's up? Don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Cully and Little Village. My name is Emmanuel.
3: My name is Zephora.
2: And we are still your amazing host for today's show. I'm loving today's show. Bro, Yolo crashed a class. Like, we crash landed, bro. It wasn't like, you know, skirt. It was like, we were in a UFO, and then like, straight through the roof.
8: Okay.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: Well, um, that was um a great podcast. Um, I have some notes, you know me. So, um my first note is that start though, you know, it started with the, you know, ra ta ta like it, it hits you, it wakes you up, like it sets the tone. And going off of that, I think um I very much love the tone of this audio piece. I do think that um I like that she includes real life and that not everything is always you know happy pop music and you know like you know she kept it real and she definitely um did set a tone with well with what she was saying her topic and also with the background music that she was playing and um the the snippets of audio pieces and the song snippets and yeah you know she just was had a very co- cohesive um and balanced podcast i really enjoyed how she laid it out
3: you know what it sounded like for me don't you know, like, in movies, when something is happening and then it's, like, the narrator is, like... Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: Like Curious George?
3: No, not, like, Curious George.
2: I don't get what you're talking like, about. Like,
3: okay, in a movie, they're walking down the street. Uh-huh. And, like, the narrator is, like, telling, like, this story. The story, yeah. yes. Okay. But it's like not like like lame. a fairy
2: tale, it's but like not lame, like a fairy tale.
3: No, not exactly like a fairy tale. More like. But a I mean, just like fiction
2: uh, type. Okay.
3: I don't even know. Like, but, but then, that's what it sounded. Then
2: Jimmy walked down the street.
3: No, more like all my life I've been going to this corner. Okay, store so like uh, a cliche high down. school movie. No, you know what? Never mind. I liked it though, and it reminded me of something. But obviously, you don't get what I'm saying.
2: I don't. But, um, and also, uh, last thing, I like that she, like, went deep inside of the specific topic that she, um, really informed us about one thing, and, like, that one thing, she really did her research, and she really, um, did great, and that she is here with us today. Hello. What up? Hey, guys. What's poppin'? (laughs) So, could you say your name? Uh my name is Amelia. Hello, Amelia. And, um, well, before we get into your audio piece, could you tell us how you got involved with the class that you're curling in?
9: Um, well, At Notre Dame, I'm studying Latino Studies as a supplementary major, and the class was listed as, like, one of the few options for, like, Latino Studies classes, and Mm. just the title itself, it's called Ballads to Hip Hop, and I was, like, I was initially really shocked that there was a class about ballads at Notre Dame, so that was pretty interesting to uh, get the class, so I signed up for it.
2: Well, in the journey of um making your audio piece or your podcast from beginning to end, any highlights or your favorite or worst part? <laughs>
9: uh, <laughs> it was definitely a hard process, just, like, the amount of research that I had to go into it. And for me, personally, it was, like, really tough to try to, like, portray the message that I wanted to send. Yeah. So, like, while I was writing my podcast, like, I just got extremely frustrated at one point because I wanted to, like bring I wanted to bring a different perspective to things and I had a really hard time trying to trying to do that but I think in the end I I really liked how it turned out so I hope like other people enjoyed as well (laughs) and are able to get the message that I intended to to send yeah
2: a question for you uh do you personally like narco corridos
9: personally I love them because (laughs) (laughs) well they're just like so like celebratory and like really like happy and like every time like they come on like people just start to like party and stuff Mm -hmm. and it's just like a really like um it's i like the atmosphere that they bring with them it's just really celebratory and i like that
2: yeah it really like sets a vibe like at at any party
3: um (laughs) how did you come up with your topic
9: well i guess just because i listen to them uh constantly or like i listen to them a lot so like i wanted to write about them and we talked about them in my class as well but i feel like we didn't talk to them I feel like there was um there's like so much more to talk about them and like the the role that they play in like Mexican society and just like I just wanted to like bring that to light I guess because it's something that um has been on my mind a lot and just like the violence in Mexico itself like that's something that I've been thinking about a lot and something that has um that I have seen impact the lives of like many people so I just wanted to like bring that message now that i have an opportunity to bring it (laughs) definitely
2: i enjoy that you um wrote and created a, uh, a podcast and beyond that a story on something that you were passionate about and thought that not enough light was being shed on and um you were able to give that today and it was a really great audio piece that you provided with us today so you should be thank proud you of
9: that <laughs> thank you
2: um, and um your research process it sounds like you you already knew the information like off the bat, but did how was your <laughs> research process with this audio piece or um, this podcast?
9: Well, it was interesting because um well, like just I didn't even know a lot of the background like i I know a lot of the music and I know a lot of the artists, but I never knew the history behind it, so it was pretty interesting to um figure that out,
3: yeah
2: and um last question um is what what would you take away from this experience?
9: Mm, I feel like just the whole process itself and, like, whenever y'all went to the class to teach us how to work the, like, software and all that, I think that that was very interesting. And I was able to see... I was able to, like, expand my, I guess, skills. And, like, now I know that there's, like... When initially coming into the project, like, I was freaking out and I was like, this is going to be impossible for me to do, but just, like, the training and, like, all the work that... um Went through it like it made me yeah. realize that it was possible and it's actually not that hard. And I had a really great time uh, making it.
2: That's awesome. I'm so happy that you learned from us and our class from zero to ten.
9: <laughs> from zero to ten, zero yeah. being what? Horrible. I would give it zero being uh, we were the
2: substitute teachers.
9: Well, I would give it like a three. <laughs> I'm just kidding, you guys. I would <laughs> give it a ten. Y'all did amazing. No, you don't have to lie. It's fine. Y'all don't did amazing. Care. I learned so I much. I give it an eight. <laughs> And without you guys, I wouldn't have been able to create this wonderful project. So thank you. Thank you thank so you much. So you much. definitely
2: uh, set a great tone with this audio piece. Um, and you set a tone with me right now after you said we got it. <laughs> no, I'm lying. But you did great on this podcast. And now we're going to move on to our next podcast. Hopefully, you guys stay tuned for the rest of our show and enjoy.
1: Hi. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Juan Kumaho. And today, we are going to talk about the evolution of high life music and its role in politics and nation building in West Africa throughout the 20th century. That was palm wine music, sung by Konimo. In this song, it teaches the importance of integrity using the story about a dog and a disordered cat. For a culture that depends on storytelling to pass along its history, this genre of music was a critical aspect of community. With musicians sitting around a semicircle, pouring some palm wine, and with eager listeners across from them, they would go all night telling stories about the past and what constitutes good morals and ethics in the, within the community. All these are told with intricate metaphors which oftentimes mask the true meanings behind these stories. The importance of this trait will become very apparent later on in this podcast as Palma music is used in politics. Palma music is an important starting point to begin to understand how and why music became an important part of the journeys of Ghana's freedom fighter Kwame Nkrumah and the Nigerian revolutionary and founder of Afrobeats Fela Kuti, who both tried to galvanize their people to form a new post-colonial African identity and to fight new colonialism and imperialism. For the rest of this podcast, we will trace the history of Afrobeats through the 20th century, from its beginnings as palm wine music in Ghana at the beginning of the 1900s to what it is today, while simultaneously exploring its role in the independence push towards the middle of the century. The deliberate use of high life in particular to form a cohesive national and pan-African identity and ethos by Kwame Krumah of Ghana. And later, Falakuti's mission to use it as a tool to fight successive oppressive Nigerian governments from the mid to late 1900s. And finally, a discussion about how the nature of Afrobeats or high life at any given period in time can be used to give a fairly accurate assessment of the general sentiments and spirit of the people during that given time period. While palm music remained an important musical form in local communities, it was highlife music that ended up captivating the national attention and being used extensively in politics. When old guitars and foreign styles began to pass from sailors to musicians on the coast, we ended up with highlife. Which merges rhythms and melodies from Palmyra music, influences from foxtrot, jazzy horns, and guitar paths similar to those found in Afro Cuban music. This new form of music became wildly popular and quickly started to replace orchestra music that was played in clubs exclusive to high society. Thus, when local communities played this music they were literally also living the life of high society hence its name high life its appeal to both the elite and regular person in society made it a potentially powerful tool to anyone who was savvy enough to recognize its potential Enter Kwame Kuma. after a lot of political drama that we won't get into he broke away from one political party that was spearheading the independence effort to form his own party because among other things I believe these guys were too removed from the average Ghanaian and did not know what the Ghanaian really wanted. One of his major moves to gain national acceptance, he quartered some of the most popular Highlife musicians to write music singing his praise. These songs caused him to become accepted by a large segment of the Ghanaian population. This even continued after he became president, where he used Highlife to communicate some government policies and, most importantly, his pan-Africanist ambitions. In addition to this, the music was also composed to help frame what the new Ghanaian should be like, how they should think, Acts and view themselves in the world.
10: Has no one been late forever? First it was Ghana and Guinea, later Ghana, Guinea, Mali. Soon it will be all Africa, the achievement of great greatest death. Ghana, Guinea, Mali. The nucleus of the Great Union, Ghana, Guinea, Mali. Africa's strongest foundation.
1: At the height of his popularity, it was very common for songs to name drop him or sing his praise. As he continued to survive each of his five assassination attempts, the music became increasingly poor in nkrumah However, in the mid-60s, he became increasingly paranoid and autocratic as a result of the attempts on his life. And the music reflected this. Highlife musicians, even some of the ones responsible for Nkrumah's rise, were at the forefront of calling out the creeping corruption, autocratic governance, and what they referred to as wasteful spending on Nkrumah's pan-Africanist agenda. Around this time, a young Nigerian musician, Fela Kuti, was in Ghana to think up a new musical direction for himself and his band. It was during this visit that the seeds of Afrobeats were sown. Fela merged the sounds of highlife with traditional Nigerian music and soul music. However, he did not start to describe it as Afrobeat until he changed his lyrics to focus on matters of national interest, such as speaking out against military governments in Nigeria from the 1970s. Through Afrobeat, Fela's voice was amplified. To the average person, him and his music represented the kind of freedom they had hoped would come with independence. For the military rulers, he was a threat. He was arrested multiple times. His music equipment and studios were burned down or confiscated. And yet, what they realized too late is that the more they tried to confine Fela the person, the further m- the music went such that the popularity of his music became Fela's best security against government brutality. For instance, in the song Zombie, he oh, mocks the Nigerian military for being used like mindless puppets to oppress their own people. Zombie go stop, you tell I'm to In response to the release of this record, Kanakuta Republic, Fela's home, which he also argued was an independent nation within Nigeria, and where he lived with his wives, followers, and band, was raided and burned down by angry soldiers. An action that resulted in global condemnation and broad focus on Nigeria's increasingly brutal military government of the day. Fela, through Afrobeat, was indeed a driving force behind Nigeria's inching closer to civilian democratic rule and raising the consciousness of the people against neocolonialism, both culturally and economically. go and die, even today, the themes of Afrobeats still reflect the times. With stable governance, growing economies, and a mostly youthful population, Afrobeat of today speaks mainly about the joys of wealth, love, and perhaps most importantly, parties. Yeah,
8: Take your time, my love
3: You are listening to WLPN LP Chicago one oh five point five FM broadcasting live from Studio I Yolokali in Little Village.
4: Yeah, hello. So this is Alex again and um so that was Hornham's podcast and his and, and the other two that follow are are about sort of music and politics specifically. And so as you can tell, he actually did something really awesome which was focus on high life and, and afrobeat uh Uh, music and he can talk to you a little more about that
2: thank you so much um well some notes quick notes i enjoyed the different spice of the music i definitely think that um exactly like the last one it, it was really great with setting tone it was a really cheerful tone and we got to know um a lot about like a different authentic history um um and just like how music plays a big role into like a person i should say because yeah it was really good at just setting the tone for this audio piece
3: yeah um since yours isn't what most people's was about do you want to say something about it or how you came to do this which was different than most people's or
10: oh, well, i mean i mostly just listen to Afrobeats. So yeah because this was an opportunity to know the history of Afrobeats. um so i just started like from what i listened to and then went back to where people jamming to in the 70s 60s mm-hmm. 50s and
3: where are you from right
10: i'm from ghana well, I'm Hornum. I'm from Ghana. I'm a senior at Notre Dame.
2: Okay. Um. How how is it that you got involved with um the class that you're currently in? Um. I guess every
10: semester I just try to pick one class that is as far away from my major as possible. I'm a business major. Oh, um,
3: that's interesting.
10: So I just picked this one. Yeah. 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 Is that's it just good. because
3: like you want to have skills in like different areas, or?
10: No, it's just I just want one class where I don't have to think about
3: yeah what
2: i'm thinking about yeah all that's week. so good
3: <laughs> that's right and yeah.
2: even then you're still learning so many different things yeah yeah
3: actually exactly. i feel like we're not even supposed to like each other because like i feel like nigerians and Ghanaians like
10: those. true except too. So, uh,
3: <coughs> no i'm joking all the Ghanaians i've met are actually pretty cool so you, i'm not really you. like that but, yeah. <laughs> so, okay
2: well, um could you say any uh highlights or frustrations that you had in the journey of making this podcast
10: I mean, this is the first time I've actually had to like listen to my voice, in real life. You got know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of annoying. I just kept deleting, and <laughs> recording and stuff like that, um, and just trying to find the music. Cause I was using a lot of old music as well, so that was just an interesting project. Like project got me into like the rabbit hole of like music on the internet. I finally found the ones I wanted, so that was cool.
2: Uh, d are you glad that you were um that. Other people that are listening to this podcast are able to uh, take away what it is that you've informed them about and get a little inside scoop on what it is that you you listen to.
10: Yeah, because I think Afrobeat is they're jams, and I feel like people don't listen to it enough. So just they don't put it out there because <laughs> <laughs> that's all I listen to.
3: No, yeah, same.
2: So, would you say yeah. that um, your inspiration for making this uh, podcast would just be your personal taste, what yeah. you enjoy?
10: yeah definitely definitely because just recording a podca- podcast is like hard enough so i wasn't going to listen to make a podcast on something i don't enjoy so this was also a fun experience so
3: did you it. know what you were going to do like as soon as you heard about this assignment or was it like mm, and then you thought of it
10: i thought of it actually during the workshop with you guys oh okay I was thinking, what am i gonna do it's like i'm just gonna do off for you yeah.
3: <laughs> how do you think that the workshop helped you?
10: A lot. I did not know anything about recording anything. So I just took notes and then you guys left a little flyer with all the information. Oh, yeah. I just, when I got stuck, I looked through that. So yeah. You guys saved my life. So our and class
2: aired. from zero <laughs> meaning Emmanuel, we you were know horrible? that
3: no one is gonna be like it's zero. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep asking? I,
2: I wanna know. I, I wanna know if I've I've impacted someone's life.
3: <laughs> he just wants to hear it.
2: <laughs> Ten. <laughs> hey. are you happy <laughs> <laughs> yup y- you have to be happy too I don't understand
3: of course I'm happy
2: <laughs> you're saying that as if this this was 50-50 we both took time to teach this class well um, we have two more um, amazing podcasts left and I'm so glad that we were able to learn so much from all the previous podcasts that we've heard Um we've learned so much and guys keep listening because we're too away from the end so sad but you still have so much more to learn. So um, let's, let's go into our next podcast and we'll be back.
11: It's the 11th of September of 1933 and Chile's military forces have just bombarded La Moneda where the seat of the President is located. Those were the last words of former President Salvador Allende, a socialist democratic politician, before he committed suicide. You're listening to Music in History, and I'm Jesu, your host. Salvador Allende. He proposed the democratic way to socialism, in which he didn't believe necessary an armed revolution to be able to have a socialist society, as many other countries believed. Again, the nationalized Copper with Congress unanimity. However, he faced great opposition in legislative and judicial system caused by his project about nationalization of other industries and collectivization. This event gave beginning to the military dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, whose pretext for this coup d'etat was to take Chile back to order and stop the communist threat. However, after gaining power, General Augusto Pinochet refused to give back the power and thus Chile began to be ruled by a military junta in which many civilians participated as well. During the dictatorship, the Congress of Chile was dissolved and the constitution was rewritten as to feed those in power. Along with this breach of democracy, human rights were not respected, as many people were tortured, kidnapped, exiled, murdered, or simply disappeared. Previous to this coup d'etat, Chile was very polarized politically.
2: Pero yo creo que llegó el momento de cantar una canción para aquellos que no están en ninguna parte. En Chile nosotros decimos, Usted!
11: Stop being so slow, come and fix your alignment, because I don't have any daggers under my bones. And if you insist on protruding your snout, we're going to expropriate your tongue, your gun and everything else. You mister are nothing, neither chicha nor Nemo. you're always stroking, your dignity jeez swissman. Like in this song, you were either this or that you were either from the left or from the right. And if you weren't any of those things, you were nothing. You had to pick a side, because you were either with a group or against it. This polarization reflected even in the music that people listen to, and this song is a perfect example of it. Some groups like Inti Gimani and Los Jaivas were labeled as communists, and their listeners were perceived as that too.
6: Mi tajante desconsuelo, mi presagio,
8: mi dulzura. Vuelvo con mi amor espeso, vuelvo en alma y vuelvo en hueso,
12: a encontrar la patria pura al fin del último beso.
11: ¿Qué culpa tiene el tomate? Baiquilapayun talks about how workers are abused by those who have money. They are aligned with the socialist way of
8: thinking.
11: During Pinochet's years in power, many people were tortured. Katia Chernik, the daughter of two survivors of the dictatorship, linked music and people who were tortured, in a collaboration with the Chilean Museum of Memory and Human Rights, and developed a project in which she presents thousands of testimonies of political prisoners and how they relate to music in their respective torture centers. In her essay, she chose to present the experiences of three different people, Luis Fuentes, Ernesto Parra, and Ana María Jiménez. In some centers, they'd use music as a means of torture, making prisoners sing for the DINA, or National Intelligence Agency agents, or to cover people's screams. On the other hand, music also serves as a comfort and as a means of socialism, as well as to express opposition to the dictatorship. Music as a way to escape.
9: I would look for that song because it was reassuring. I had an obsession for "Morning Has Broken" by Pat Stevens, and when a sports reporter would lend me a receiver, I would look for that song because it was reassuring.
8: Morning has broken like the first morning, blackbird. Spoken like the first bird, praise for the sea.
11: These were the words of Luis Fuentes, when referring to the songs he listened in clandestine radio of the inmates to muster up the courage to endure
4: torture. <inaudible>
11: Ernesto Parra, another torture center survivor, also listened to certain songs that were broadcasted on the radio before and after being tortured at the Estadio Nacional. He used to listen to Without You by Pete Hamps and Todd Evans, which we just listened, or Alone Again, Naturally, by Gilbert O'Sullivan, which we'll hear in seconds. This reveals the emotional healing properties the music had in the inmates and how it helped them heal. If I'm
8: not feeling any less so, i feeling I promised myself to treat myself and visit a nearby town I'm climbing to the top Throw myself up in an effort to make clear to ever what it's like when you're shattered left standing in the lurch by the church where people sing My God, that's tough. She stood him up. No point in us
12: remaining. We may as well go on as I did on my own.
11: But music was also used to express disagreement and tell stories. Nyaka nyaka was an interjection people at Camp Melinka used whenever they wanted to signal, and poke fun, and any dark thought that might cross their minds. That's why the name seemed so appropriate to the evil king in the image papier-mâché place that held every Friday. It was a prisoner's show, in which only inmates and guards would participate. Sergio Vesele, a musician that composed several songs during his captivity in the prisoners' camp Milinka near Valparaiso, describes the play like this. Nyakanyaka, the puppet, in his role as a main king, was certainly a third class king, a dictator who enjoyed ridiculing his prisoners. These are none other than Cinturón de Lana, or wooden belt, Anillo de Metal, metal ring, Huesito, little bone, and Caballito de mar seahorse. These were all allegorical figures that had great meaning for us, as prime examples of the handicraft that came from the hands of our fellow prisoners. In this play, Nyakanyaka guards, his soldiers, were the puines, which directly alluded to the barbed wire. It would have been difficult to make it any clearer. What we were doing was a staged and metaphorical enactment of our own story. And we did it with a good measure of optimism, as shown in fact that the end of Nyakanyaka loses his voice, that is, his power, and he loses his minds. Thus, the captives come
10: free. <laughs> Nunca en la historia hubo un rey más avaro, más cruel, más avieso, más feo y ufano. Y cuando andaba de mal talante, la gente decía de su semblante,
8: Cuidado
10: el rey ñaca After the
11: play was presented to the commander, he congratulated the cast of the play, unaware that the play was based on himself. These are some of the many ways in which music can be used as an expressive medium and as an expression medium during a repressive time, such as Chile's dictatorship. You're listening to Music in History, and I'm Jesús, your host.
2: Hey guys, what up? We're back. Don't forget that you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago one oh five point five FM Lumpin' Radio broadcasting live from Studio Y Yolo Kali in Little Village. My name is Emmanuel. My name is Zipporah. And we're your amazing host for today's show, YOLO Crush the Class. So, um you just listened to an amazing podcast. Um, some notes I have on it. I think I I really enjoy the intro and the outro she gave it. Like it felt like um a really well produced podcast like it felt like a real podcast um with huh
11: i said thank you
2: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um well now that you said thank you we'd like to welcome our special guest the creator hello. of her podcast hello would you like to say your name
11: yeah i'm maria
7: jesus Bovenried. um yeah
2: hello um well we have some questions for you what was your main inspiration when making this audio piece
7: well
11: i'm from chile so um and uh, we obviously take Chile's history in school. So when I was uh, presented with the cast, the podcast team, I was like, "Oh, I need to do this uh, with like Chile's music and Chile's history. So that's how I came about um, this documentary or recording more about how music relates to uh, the torture centers in Chile during the dictatorship time.
2: Did you have to research anything? Because it sounded like you knew what you were saying. Like you said it really well. Oh, thank you.
11: Uh yeah, I did have to research, but not as much as I thought I would need to. Uh mainly because as I said, we take uh history Chile's history in in school, so um a lot of these things were just there and also uh Katia Turnix. Um Research was also online, so it wasn't difficult to find material to do
2: this. Uh, well, that was a great podcast that you created. Um, anything that you're going to take away from it?
11: Yeah. So it takes a lot more time that you think to record a podcast and make <laughs> it sound like decent.
2: Well, um, thank you so much for um, being here. and. We're on to our last podcast guys so we're going to have alex here because the student's not here unfortunately so he's going to say a quick intro to the next part po- the last podcast you'll be
4: hearing okay well again thank you so much to all of you everybody yolo kali uh, for you know working with us all semester and for you know having us here today and this last podcast is by saul cortez who's not here Uh, But I think it's also in the theme of politics and music, uh, but he's actually talking about the history of music sampling, which is really interesting. And uh, so uh, I know uh, he's listening, and I hope everybody enjoys it. And thank you again. Thank
2: you so much. And sadly... We have to say our goodbyes. So sad, so sad. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this two-hour amazing Yolo crashed a class show. Thank you so much to the students of Notre Dame. Thank you so much, Alex, um, the professor of that class. Thank you so much for being here, y'all. Yay! What's poppin'? So, um, thank you all so much for listening to this amazing two-hour spectacular podcast radio show. And don't forget to follow Yolo Kali, you know, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram. Oh, me too. Uh-uh. <laughs> bye. Well, we were your hosts, Emmanuel. Zipporah. And don't forget that you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio, broadcasting, broadcasting live, live from, from Studio Y, Yolo, Yolo Kali, in Little Yolo. Village. Peace, y'all. Woo!
12: You're listening to A little bit of this, a little bit of that with your host, Saul Cortez. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm your host, Saul Cortez, and I'm excited to be broadcasting to you guys today. Uh, In this podcast, we're going to explore a little bit of music, a little bit of history, and specifically, we're going to look at music sampling. Now, music sampling, if you don't know, is the reuse of a portion or a sample of a sound recording and another recording. Samples may compromise rhythm, melody, speech, or other sounds, and they're integrated today using digital hardware. Back in the day, you had to use things such as vinyls or CDs in order to get the job done. Now you might be asking yourself, why is music sampling so important? And specifically, why is the history of music sampling important? Well, let me tell you that the history of music sampling is a rabbit hole that many never truly explore. Older generations of music listeners will listen to a new piece of music and recognize that catchy bass line or that nice guitar riff in the background, but never really question why it's there. Younger generations just take in the final product of an artist and assume that every single part of it was their own creation, yet only a few would ever think that there is a connection between the past and the present and that is what we're going to explore right now. So the history of music sampling uh, doesn't start off here in the United States as one would kinda expect with music and whatnot, uh, but it actually starts off in France. And we're going to be going back in time and going off into the distance and learn of where music sampling comes from. And the origin of music sampling is music concrete. So what is music concrete? Music concrete, if we translate it over from its original French into English, literally means concrete music. Why? Well, if we look at concrete just itself, you know, that stuff that you walk on when you're on sidewalks or maybe even drive on, it, that material is not like a singular, solid thing that you could just go out into the world and dig it out from the from the earth. No, it's it's a combination of many different particles of sand and stone and who knows what else that produces this concrete. Thing that we use in our daily lives. Well, music concrete is not that much different. Music concrete uses uh, sounds or sounds identities that are obscure from each other, or are probably even unconnected from each other, and it's smashed into a new product that produces something that we may or may not like. And the sounds that are used can vary from their nature. They could be recordings of musical instruments, the human voice itself, sounds from the natural environment, as well as those that can be created with synthesizers and computer-based sound production. And who was the mastermind behind Musique Concrete? Well, it was the French composer, writer, broadcaster, engineer, musicologist, and acoustician, Pierre-Henri-Marie Schaeffer who coined the term of concrete music in 1948. So that means that the one hip-hop song that you really like, that's really catchy and it's it's a mix-up of two different songs together and it just it just works so well, well its origins aren't really from the 70s or 80s like you might have thought, they're based on this idea that emerged post-World War II, which is insane. It's crazy to me. And the idea of concrete music didn't just die off after it was invented. We see it in a different shape in hip-hop later on. But in the 60s, concrete music became a standard thing to use. For an example of this, we'll listen to a bit of music that was composed by a guy by the name of Brian Wilson. You might know him. He kind of, like... Created the Beach Boys, my favorite band. Here's the sample. So at the very end of the song we hear that train whistle and the barking dog now that's a example of concrete music because you necessarily can't get close enough in order to uh, record the train whistle along with the dog and have it be at the right levels what brian wilson did in this song was he got a recording of the train whistle and he also recorded Believe it or not, Paul McCartney's dog barking at him um, when he went to go visit one day and decided to include it into his track, which uh, which is very unique in it by itself. Now, the work that Brian Wilson put in to this song, let alone the album Pet Sounds, it, it's a lot of work. If he had the technology that we have today, he would have produced that in let's just say, less than three months, versus the years that it took him to produce that album. But with the march of time comes the improvement of technology, for the most part. And, you know, when we hit the 60s, the 70s, later on the 80s and 90s, technology advances quite a bit. So much that it makes music sampling so much easier to do you're able to find music faster, you're able to record over it uh, fairly easily with your own equipment, on your own time, at your own place that you want to record at. And that's what really made music sampling appealing to hip hop artists. Now, let's fast forward a couple of years into the 1990s and let's say you wanna make a song but you want to sample something from the 70s. So how do you do it now? Well, your first step would be to acquire a record that has that music that you want to sample uh, so that you can use it and record over it. So let's say I wanted to use Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley Brothers. Well, first I'd have to find the song and get a recording of it. So let's say I'm doing this right now live. Here is Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley Brothers, released in 1977. So let's say I'm Ice Cube and I listen to that music and I was like, "Man, that's so good! I want to put my own stuff over that." Well, that's exactly the next step: you have your own stuff and you record it over the sample at hand. So he does this successfully with his song "It Was a Good Day," which he released in 1992. Let's take a listen to the final result of that work. And that's music sampling in a nutshell. Now, since 1992, when Ice Cube released this song, um, things haven't changed for music sampling in and of itself. Technology has changed. Uh, Music has changed just a little bit. But overall, the idea of going and finding the music that you're going to record on uh, and just making your own material to go on top of it, that hasn't changed. That's still... Alive and well today, and we'll listen to a bit of two different songs. Here's the first one's going to be Pitbull, whose Kai Ocho samples a song by the rock group Chicago, and then Beautiful Girls by Sean Kingston, who uses a pretty famous bassline in his song. So let's give a quick listen to those two songs. <laughs> Mr. Three Hundred Five checking in for the remix. You know they had a 75th Street Brazil. Well, this year is gonna be called Caiochu. Que bola, <laughs> Cada, que bola, Omega. And this how we gonna do it? One, two, three, four. Uno, dos, tres. I know you. And And there you have it. That is Modern Music Sampling. Some would argue that it's at its finest. I'm just going to stay neutral in all of that. But with that, I think... You know, we should probably conclude this podcast. We've gone through everything that I wanted to get through. You know, we went through the history of music sampling, its evolution, and we just heard how it's still alive and well in the modern music industry. So, with that, I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in, and hopefully you've learned a thing or two of music sampling. I know I have in order to produce this podcast for y'all, but hopefully... You all as well have learned something new today. Thanks for tuning in.
2: When the night has come,
8: hello,
0: it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. or visit at yolokaliartsreach.org for more.